episode of the Tales and Tunes podcast. It's a little delayed on getting this episode released as my guests and I had a little trouble lining up our schedules due to Thanksgiving and our opposing work schedules. But we got it done and recorded it set in the main floor booth at Beta this past Sunday. But before we hear from Christopher James, let's kick this podcast off with B-Tsunami's number one track pick of the week. This week's pick goes out to one of my longtime personal favorites, Dowsk with his remix of Moth by Alex George. Find this release at Bport on Alola Records. Thank you. 
Welcome guys to another episode of the Tales and Tunes podcast. My guest this week has recently relocated from Miami to Denver, where he is currently uh, working at in operations at Beta Nightclub. He's been DJing for over 11 years and has lived and performed all over the U.S. So without further ado, I welcome Christopher James to the podcast. Hello, thanks for hello. being Yeah, <laughs> thanks for being here, man. Mm-hmm. How, how have you been lately? How was uh, Thanksgiving? Did you have a good break? Everything. Or a break at all? Oh, I had a break, yes. Um, it was cold coming from uh, the uh, southeast. It's definitely much colder here. I used to live here a long time ago, but the holidays and the last month or two here has been uh, pretty brutal as far as uh, 30s and 40 degree weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not as bad as Iowa, I can tell you that. We don't we don't get a polar vortex here like this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my, my uh, Thanksgiving break, we had a... Uh, uh, my my family's first big uh, trip to Disney World, like the whole nine yards. Uh, my oldest, or I have three brothers, and two of them, one's uh, in the Air Force, and the other one's in the Army. So they got some like massive discount for us. Did you go to Harry Potter World? Uh that's at Universal. We didn't get make it uh, to Universal. Rhiannon wanted to go more than anything, but uh, what the way it was set up was my brothers got us uh, a discount. Uh, we stayed at Shades of Green, which is a military-only hotel. Like, it was a quarter mile from the entrance to Magic Kingdom, so it's like right in Disney World. And they got all of our rooms for ninety-five bucks a night. And then we got four-day passes to Disney World, which had the park hopper option where you can go in between parks right. every day. And they got those for one hundred and seventy-seven dollars, and normally that's like four hundred dollars. They don't sell booze at Disney World. They do though, actually. Oh, they, I was oh, no. correct. Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom. That's Magic the Kingdom. One. They don't. That's correct. Yeah, because yep. you can get a beer from like any country in at Epcot. That, yep. <laughs> I was uh, I was upset when I found that out earlier last year. <laughs> yeah, got to bring it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they got crazy good discounts, and then Disney has this thing. Uh, if you're staying at a resort that's within Disney World, you get the extra magic hours. So, like, for example, Ma- at Magic Kingdom on Saturday, it was open till midnight to the general public. But they kick everybody out unless you're staying on a resort. And then you have two hours until 2 a.m. to go- walk around, go on all the rides, and not wait in line. So that's cool. that was pretty awesome. <laughs> You've been to Disney World then? I mean, because you did that in Florida. I went last year. And then before that, the last time I was actually at Magic Kingdom... Or Disney World was, uh, I think it was the year after Epcot opened. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> then would that have been the second park that opened then? Because yeah, that was before remember. the Hollywood Studios probably. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that was an awesome trip. It was good to have some family time and whatnot. Uh, and then last weekend uh, I played at the uh, uh, Fusion Factory for Paul Anthony's birthday party. It was called We Jack Techno. Played an opening slot and that was fun to be able to go there and not have to work. That was uh, <laughs> Nigel that night, right? Yeah, Nigel. Yeah, Nigel was good. Nigel Richards. We'll uh, roll on here and just kind of meet you and get everybody to know you. Uh, so, yeah, Christopher James, where where are you from? Uh, I mean, that's kind of a broad question to ask from what I was, I've learned so far. <laughs> I was born in West Palm Beach, Florida. Where I'm from, I would probably actually say... Kind of half and half between uh, Denver, Colorado, and Hermosa Beach, California. Those are the two places that I would call home. 
even though I was um, born in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, I've lived all over, though. I've been military family as well, Air Force, so bounced around quite a bit. So where where did most of your growing up take place then? Like your childhood? Um, or was that bouncing well, around a lot? Or? Denver, I first moved into Denver, I think it was around like 11 or 12, and I was there until I was about, or here until I was about 17 or 18. So that's a pretty important chunk of like growing up period. And then from that point on was uh, Southern California. So those are probably the two most pivotal pivotable, pivotal um, times in someone's life. So that's kind of where I would say my most growing came. So where where in Denver were you then? Uh, Littleton, Colorado. I had a, my parents had a place out in Ken Carroll Ranch. Oh, okay. What while you were in high school or that that kind of time frame? What kind of music were you into? I was. I mean, all throughout high school, and I was. What year would this be, actually, kind of help put it into perspective? Late 80s, early 90s. Okay. Um, I was going through, I mean, I guess, like, the rise of hip-hop and whatnot was pretty big back then. I mean, I had my, like, you know, MTV raps, and, like, MTV was, you know, getting big and whatnot. So, a lot of the popularity and stuff was still um, non-commercialized to a lot of people because MTV was not looked at as being like the mainstream as of yet, even though it was getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I grew into like my own styles, it was definitely more like a, um, kind of like Gothic industrial is probably what I kind of leaned towards most. Um, Nine Inch Nails, KMFDM, um, Skinny Puppy, uh, that kind of stuff, Depeche Mode, um, New Age as well. Like, it's like, you know, some worldly like New Age. I got into like, you know, like, uh, Tori Amos, uh, Enya. So hmm. anything, whether it was positive or negative emotions, as long as it had emotion, it kind of drew me in. Oh, cool. So did you have uh, any other hobbies you were into while you were that age? I was an athlete most of my life. Played soccer until I think my sophomore year of high school, and then I took up volleyball. Played volleyball and ended up uh, going pretty far with that. I played uh, semi-pro on the beach for a while, played college. And then, um, where do you go to college for that? All over. Oh, really? All over. They I have actually, it in Iowa. <laughs> I got I got a full ride for one year to Lamoni, Iowa. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> Graceland College, and then uh, I went out and played um, at City College at uh, UCSB Santa Barbara. Or not UCSB, sorry, uh, SBCC Santa Barbara City. Um, but then I played around I played a semi-pro here in Colorado I played triple-a ball out, out in out in California a bit and uh, I had a knee injury that kind of which kind of knocked me out of it but I ended up coaching for a while before that happened I coached at a Colorado College down in Colorado Springs and I coached at Yale for a year out on the East Coast oh wow what time frame would this have been or that this is after California then uh, this was I started playing in my sophomore year of high school I kept playing volleyball until I was Let's see, I think my knee injury was when I was like 29, maybe. So I was playing straight through until then, and I was coaching oh, wow. um, in the off season pretty much that entire time. I coached either juniors or I coached college. Okay. So, so when, so among all this time, when did you uh, bump into electronic music? Um, I first got into like, uh, again, like, you know, gothic industrial kind of stuff was 
um, becoming a little bit more mainstream with artists like Lords of Acid and Prodigy. Um, but I actually got probably into like the club scene and hearing that kind of stuff here actually in, in Denver. Hmm. Um, the grand opening of the church um, club called 1082, which is now called Vinyl. Um, club called Deadbeat. They all had different nights, different levels, uh, different styles of music on like each level. And um, the church had like an underground night um, on, I believe it was Sundays. Uh, the Snake Pit had a, a gothic industrial night on Mondays back in the day. And then uh, Vinyl, their downstairs basement area, is where a group from, uh, what was it called, uh, Casa del Sol, and a bunch of those guys that kind of developed the scene here in Denver uh, would uh, play out there. And that's kind of how I got kind of warmed into the scene here before I moved out to uh, California. Oh, okay. And what year was that then? That was, I moved to California in 97. So that was probably from like 94 to 96. Oh, okay. So that was kind of like your first party, you would say, was like at the church or those it, were the first events? First first club events, yeah. My first party, first like, underground party would have been out in California. Um, that would have been like either at like uh, the Palace out in Los Angeles or maybe like Audiotistic um, or the early days when uh, Nocturnal Wonderland was first starting. Actually, I don't think it was even called Nocturnal Wonderland. I think it was just called Nocturnal. Um, but that would have been like, yeah, like 98, 99. Okay. What kind of music was they playing here, like at the church, and when that stuff was starting? Most of it back then was um, probably some trance, but honestly, it was mostly like straight electronic stuff. I mean, you're looking at like uh, Depeche Mode, Prodigy. Um, I'm trying to think back; it's been a long time. Um, I remember, I remember that Liquid was first beginning to kind of take off as far as a a, a dance style. Um, that was right around the time that I think that like the first transport came out and whatnot. So that would have been probably that style of music. That might have even been a little bit before that, mm-hmm. but and now in California was definitely trance. That was like the uh, that was the development of like uh, what some people call real trance. Like back in the day, it was you know back with like uh, Sasha Digweed, early early Max Tiesto, Graham. early Max Graham. You know, back when these guys were, you know, taking over the world playing stuff that wasn't commercial by any means. You had to go see them to hear a song. If you heard a song, you couldn't go on, you know, Shazam and figure out what it was. You had to go see Sasha if you wanted to hear a song played by Sasha because nobody else had it. So mm-hmm. it was that, that kind of thing. Crazy. So what made you want to be a DJ? Was that here in Denver or did that happen more in California? It definitely happened out in California. Yeah. Um, going to parties, raves. Um, would go there. Honestly, like the production, the style was important, but it was pretty much just like the um, the crowd, the people, um, and the music. Definitely, it wasn't about song to song. I don't recall ever going to see a DJ because I wanted to hear these six songs. I didn't expect to hear these songs from this DJ. I went out and I expected to hear a set. If I didn't hear one song that I knew, I wasn't disappointed. I was actually elated. I was excited about the fact that I just heard an entire set full of songs I'd never heard before. And each and every one of them blended together and blew me away and moved me in a way that made me want to honestly give back. It wasn't about stardom. It wasn't about um, being popular. It wasn't about um, pretty much anything except for giving back that same feeling that I had gotten from those DJs back then. If I was able to give that same feeling to anybody else, then basically it had made it a success because it makes the industry and the music keep going. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. When did you, after deciding that, when did you get your first setup or your first <laughs> equipment? Or um, I was in Hermosa Beach, California, and there was a bunch of people I used to work with, and two of them were dating. And um, I won't use last names, but Lisa was a friend of mine. Uh, her boyfriend went to Vegas and did a few things that he shouldn't have done. She found out and got mad, so she gave me his setup. <laughs> she had bought him a DJ setup, and uh, she's like, okay, well, screw this guy. Um, I'm going to sell this stuff, or I'll just give it away. Do you want it? <laughs> and, I, and I basically said, okay. So she gave me a pair of CDJ100s, a uh, Pioneer DJM600, and then I went out and found my own uh, turntables, and I took it upon myself to try to find music to play because back then you couldn't buy uh, individual songs except for like Napster um, and if you wanted to find songs to play that were of like good quality I had to order like mix CDs and try to like cut them up myself <laughs> or you know try to figure out a way to mix things on a CD player because that was considered so like a uh, taboo back then um, and then vinyl records I go out and buy I think my first Vinyl record I bought, I think, was uh, Georgia Costa Emotions, which was a big trance CD, a uh, big trance album back then on uh, on a vinyl. Well, yep, that was actually a friend of mine now. Craziness. Mm -hmm. So, well, you, you were saying that you, so that first setup you had CDJs with it. Would that have been like right when they came out, or uh, there were a few, you... there were a few that were before that, but the CDJ 100s were probably one of the more well-known ones. They were uh, very slim silver ones. They had three little sound effects. They had like a, I, it wasn't even called a flanger. It was called a jet back then. Like you would hit the jet button, which is just a flanger. And then you had to use the jog wheel to adjust how it actually oh, that's like went out. Stanton. So yeah. <laughs> um, and, the, and the Pioneer 600, I've always played on Pioneer mixers. I've always enjoyed them. Um, that's how I got my start. It just kind of feels like home. Yeah. So, yeah. But. so you, you got this new equipment in, in California. So how did things progress from there did like how did you get did you start playing parties out in california or <laughs> i played uh two parties in california um both of them were birthday parties for friends people i met, met at like random raves and uh played heavy hardcore like german trance in venues that had no place or reason to have german trance being played at them <laughs> um but anything to play music you know it was before you kind of learned to fit the size of a venue with a kind of sound you all you only had what you knew and you only had what you wanted to play and until you develop a library it's very difficult to you know figure out different things to play so that was what i had and that was what i played it was a couple of great parties i actually revisited one of those bars um about four months ago out in california went and talked to the owner and she actually had remembered the night because it was like a local bar and they never had electronic music and it was like a packed night and everyone's just getting messed up and it was just a strange weird experience and it was just yeah <laughs> It was, uh, it was, it was, it was quite the uh, memory. Um, after that, I moved to a Connecticut and that's where I kind of started actually playing like real clubs or real club. Um, and really kind of diving into learning more about like, uh, you know, along the, uh, finding your own sound and developing your own style, mixing, um, progression, uh, playing to a room, playing to a crowd because they're two different things, etc. So how how did your music progress? Would you say like you so you start start out playing? You start out playing what you like. You start out playing what you hear. 
because that's all you have access to. Electronic music, especially back then, was hard to find. You know, if you heard a song that you liked, or if it was absolutely amazing and mind-blowing, nine times out of ten, it was amazing and mind-blowing because it was current and new, and there were only going to be about five pressings of it worldwide. Um, you know, so you had to find things that were like that, but you weren't going to find that song because the big guys held on to those songs like they were gold. Um, so it was really a matter of, uh, honestly, the biggest thing that probably hit was uh, when a lot of vinyl websites um, really went to the internet and they would uh, create sound bites and sound samples that you could actually listen to online. And you could hear clips of vinyl records that they would upload onto their sites, which now this is mainstay. This is like, you know, easy common stuff. Um, but back then it wasn't. I mean, that was, you know, searching for days and days and days and uh, going to clubs, asking DJs, asking promoters, and then the internet opened up, you know, sound samples and sound bites, and then it was able to listen to 30 seconds of what you wanted to buy. So that was probably the biggest changeover that helped uh, establish more of what I wanted to play. Because I heard what I wanted to play, but I had no idea where to find it. So I guess a shorter answer is I heard what I wanted. I had no way to find it. When I had a way to find it, that was when I decided to develop my sound into what I really felt inside. How much influence do you think where you lived had on what you're listening to or like... I mean, could you tell variances from, at that time, I mean, like between California and Connecticut, what was going on? 100%. There is no doubt in my mind that every city, every state, every coast is a completely different sound. If I had been raised in music in, on the East Coast, I would have played completely different today. Maybe I would have changed to where I'm playing now eventually, because that's what I believe is truly in my heart. But what I learned on was completely from Southern California influence. Um, East Coast has always been more about floor activity, whereas the West Coast in California, and at least from my experience, has always been a little bit more about uh, headiness, heartfelt emotion, uh, story, um, like detail, that kind of thing. No less important either coast, just different. It's kind of like West Coast hip-hop versus East Coast hip-hop. You know, East Coast tends to be a bit more maybe edgy and aggressive, whereas the West Coast has a bit more of a vibe and kind of a groove to it. So that's debatable. I'm sure people will get mad about certain things that you know I say as far as that goes, but that's the way I see it. Mm -hmm. So you feel like you, because all these places you've lived too, I mean, just besides just uh, Connecticut and California, you, you're probably able to take all the things you like about those scenes and, and, you know, I mean, that creates your sound, which is probably, you know, constantly evolving. That's one of the greatest things about me moving around so much is that literally I can go somewhere, I can meet friends, I can hear DJs that play styles that I like, but yet we never have the same songs. There are guys that I've worked with and DJed with for two or three or four years and we have the same taste and we'll go out and play gigs together and we won't have any of the same songs. That I fucking love. Um, I think that's fantastic. Um, and I think that the diversity in where I live has definitely opened up kind of like my uh, repertoire or like mental library of what I search for, how I search for it, things that I listen to and what kind of what designates the sound that I play today. How long after Connecticut did, did you move to Florida from there then? Yep. I was in Connecticut for a whopping year and maybe two months. Um, after that, I went to Florida. Um, was introduced to Miami House, 
That is a style. It was uh, very different from where I'd heard everywhere else. Everything else is so energetic. Uh, Miami House back then was so much more groovy. It was darker. It had, honestly, it really grabbed onto my old, like, gothic industrial roots as far as, like, things that were kind of ominous. Um, they were slower beats. People were playing at, like, you know, 130, 133, whereas a lot of the stuff in, you know, the places I'd been before were playing, like, you know, 134, 135, 136 or above. Um, hearing things that were slowed down, it could have been that time period, but it was also, I mean, that was, like, when... As the Rush Comes first came out, that was um, like groups like Evolved, and uh, yeah, that was when um, what was it? Uh, Oscar G, um, the drums. Uh, what was that? I forget the name of the song. Anyways, that was when his like big master hit came out, and that whole um, just kind of scene like blew up, and that sound blew up, and I was there when that all happened. That was when like a like a Luke Chable first came out. So like like the early progressive, really like you know, big producers coming out, and it was starting to become a bigger scene. Well, you, you moved to Florida, so were you? Did you go directly to Miami, or where? Where were you living? And I moved into West Palm Beach first, which is where I was born. Oddly enough, it's kind of funny, full circle. Um, I was there for a while. Um, I had actually had knee surgery in Connecticut, so I was actually there rehabbing my knee for about oh six to eight months. Um, got a job in West Palm, would drive to Miami occasionally, go out down there, um, got a couple of DJ gigs after being there for about eight months, uh, playing at a lounge in West Palm and then a couple of different clubs opened up and I ended up uh, being residents for both those clubs. And then after that, I just met a bunch of people in that area and all of them kind of had the same drive, the same push, the same... Uh, energy and we became like a very tight group of friends and I'm still in contact with just about every single one of them today and every single one of them is really I mean just kind of coming to their own I mean everything from you know marketing director of big international festival um, you know radio hosts and producers to um, I mean company brands that have blown up internationally I mean it's it's everything from you know paint parties to the ultra festival so, mm -hmm. so was it was it through uh, that uh, core group of people that you got into the Miami scene, or it was involvement with them definitely. Um, getting down to like the Fort Lauderdale area, meeting people down there. As you got closer and closer to Miami, you would meet more and more people that were, of course, more integrated with that scene. Miami's not an easy scene to break into, um, but making friends, being a fan first supporting and enjoying the area and then going down there once you live down there it becomes easier um but yes definitely those like that that circle of friends is definitely kind of what helped me uh break into that scene gotcha. so when did you move to miami then um i moved to miami and was working down in miami living down in miami full-time I think full-time, when I first did the Miami full-time, would have been 2011. Okay. I had been down there kind of on and off for a while. But uh, as far as, like, like uh, my own place, that would have been 2011. Right on. And what, uh, so what clubs or promotion teams or kind of gigs were you getting lined up? Or what were you involved with? I went out first and just met everybody I could. Um, the friends I had made, friends I had built up over years, um... I ended up going out supporting here and there, throwing house parties, people come over, and then 
the first couple of gigs I got were um, I actually played an opening set. Actually, that was before I was in Miami. I played a mansion before I was in my before I was in Miami a couple years before. That was kind of fun. Um, but after that, when I moved back there, I played at uh, the Electric Pickle, which is still one of my favorite venues in all of Miami. Um, big underground following, great sound system. Just been around for just forever. Just they have respect all over. And then I got a residency uh, for about a year and a half playing at Treehouse um, in South Beach. Then I played there every Saturday for about a year, year and a half. Um, and then I played festivals down there. Um, number of like of a pool parties here and there. The Shelbourne Hotel, um, the Cleveland, uh, not the Clevelander, um, the Congress Hotel. Um, and then we did parties um, called Techno Beach up in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then we did random beach parties, island parties. We actually did a couple of island parties that were pretty cool. Uh, in the inlet, they had uh, like uh, public islands. You'd go over there on like a Friday, boat over, bring a sound system over. You'd have like, you know, 100 to 120 friends. You'd camp out for three days. Oh, man. And you'd mix for, you know, 30 plus hours. Wow. So, Where was that located then? Uh, that's on the intercoastal in between Miami and Miami Beach. They'd have like a you know, random, like a uh, man made, like little islands or whatnot. You'd find ones that actually um, weren't riddled with like glass bottles or, you know, um, covered in thorns or, you know, kind of comfortable. And you'd set up uh, tents and you'd camp out for three days and play music and just kind of go balls to the wall. Where'd you? <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Would you like cart people out on boats or you just had a bunch of friends with boats? And... You would meet people that have boats. You would be as nice as you could to them. You'd talk to them. You'd set up pickup schedules. You'd talk to DJs and say, hey, who wants to play? Here's your time slot. You kind of arrange it with the pickup schedules. The pickup schedules would get a little bit on or off depending on who was doing it. And then as soon as everyone got drunk, we, we would uh, cut off and say, okay, no one's driving a boat now. You'd tie it up. And then everyone had to be on the island, stuck on the island, unless you kayaked over there. And then you'd be stuck over there until the next morning. So Wow. <laughs> that sounds cool. I've wanted to do a similar thing in Iowa on like a, a sandbar, but that's not even close to as cool as. Well, you could still do it. You could yeah, do like yeah. A, you could do like a plexiglass stage, and like put it out out there and like build it up and like prop it so it looks like you're actually standing on nothing. Yeah. And then run the cords under the sand and down through the uh, plexiglass. That'd oh, be totally. Really cool. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of talking about this, but what what was it like living in Miami? Because I mean, I've been there four times, all for. Uh, like WMC and Ultra and a Bang Music Festival too, and just the way things are, it's just like uh, it seems like a crazy way of life. <laughs> the glitz and glamour and all that stuff wears off pretty quickly. Um, Miami is just like any other city, living wise to a certain extent. I mean, you know, you've got except for you have more traffic. Um, the drivers aren't that great. The heat eventually will wear you down. Um, I've never been somewhere where you look outside and it's absolutely gorgeous and you have absolutely no desire to go outside into it. <laughs> um, you know, walking from your front door to your car, you have to change shirts because you just sweat through everything that you were just wearing. Um, summers there can be brutal. Um, winters are beautiful. Um, you can have some of the best food in the world and you can have some of the worst service in the world. Um, you get very used to things being overpriced but you don't mind so much. It's definitely a place where knowing the right people, which is probably true anywhere, but it's definitely a place that knowing people is going to help you more than anything else because they will give everything away for free, but they won't ever do it unless they know who you are. 
And that's different than a lot of places because there are a lot of places where they'll make you pay no matter what. Even if they know who you are, they'll give you a discount. Miami has no problem giving things away for free. They just have to know who you are and how you're going to help them. Yeah, so what's Miami like? I mean, like, oh, you're just saying about the weather and stuff, but like when WMC or like big events aren't going on, or are there like downtimes when like South Beach isn't really happening? Or There are definitely downtimes, but it's still one of the most active nightlife scenes probably in the country, if not the world, but I don't have a uh, a base of like world travel to kind of a base that on um but anyways but it's definitely wmc you got parties seven days a week you've got parties that go crazy crazy you know hours afternoons whatever else it's still nuts when it's not wmc when it's not miami music week um but it's basically thursday friday saturday sunday everything else is going to be a little bit lighter during the week you'll have cool spots to go but they're not going to be insane you'll have parties with big djs that have you know, small crowds, and they don't turn out that well. Um, you also don't get a lot of the big international underground artists at the major clubs. That's changing a little bit more now, the last year or so, that's developed more. But during like that, like, you know, last week of March, you definitely will see people that you won't see normally at some of these venues, which makes it more enticing. Or you'll go to smaller venues that are even more packed because they'll have more production, bigger speakers. When you go back to that club in May, the same club does not have that same production those in that same sound system. Oh, really? They rent it for that week, and then it's gone. Oh. So. Well, yeah. Talk, so we're talking about WMC. How many years did you go to WMC? Um, every year from 2003 until last year. So 11 years straight. Um, and then I DJed at Ultra, I believe, eight of those years. Oh, really? And I played parties down in WMC probably uh, six or seven of those years. So, yeah. So, yeah, you were de you were definitely around for when, uh, what year was it? Was it 2009 that, or no, it was t wasn't it 2011 that WMC and Ultra split? Or that was they? in 2000, that actually may have been 2009. It may have been 2009 because I was back here in Denver 2010 and I went back out to Miami to help um, work with the Miami Music Week team um, because of the separation. But then WMC had come back to the same time period back then. But I believe that the actual split that one year, that may have been 2009. Yeah. Because that, yeah, that was the first year that... Or, because originally with the WMC badge, you used to get into Ultra, like that was included with the ticket price, which was insanely awesome. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, yeah, how I did it, my, I went down there in 2008 and actually, I mean, I was, I was still kind of young, you know, cause I started DJing and like, a, or getting into electronic music like 2006. So I, I actually didn't even know about WMC and I came down to Ultra on like student loans and like my roommate who didn't give a shit about electronic music he was just the other person to ride in the car to get me there and uh he just wanted to go down to miami you know or for spring break or whatever so i drove down there and like didn't have any pl i like we bought tickets at the door we didn't have any place to stay like we or didn't have any of that planned i'm like i'm sure we'll meet some cool people and yada 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 so we're like 
I'm like walking around the ultra and like uh, I go into the porter potty at one point. It's actually during Tiesto. It was the first time I ever saw Tiesto uh, on the main stage. And uh, I came out of the bathroom and this girl I knew, her name's Jamie. She was from like, she's from Wisconsin at the time. I was like, you got to be shitting me. I can't believe I'm seeing this person amongst 50,000 people. I run up, I'm like, Jamie. She's like, oh my God, what the fuck are you doing here? And we're like, I have no idea. I can't believe we ran into each other. And so just started talking and I was like, so yeah, where are you staying? She's like, why? You need a place to stay? I was like, yeah. And so they, her and uh, another good friend of mine, she was dating at the time. Well, I met him down there and we're good friends to this day, uh, Joe. And uh, they had done uh, couch surfing. They were couch surfing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a thing online where you can basically send an email to somebody who's offering up their couch. And if they think you're cool, you can come stay for free or whatever. So they were staying with these, uh, this, this burner couple, this older burner couple up in Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, it's a drive. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, but they were good friends with uh, one of the co-founders of uh, WMC, Bill Kelly. Okay. I don't know if you know yep. him. Yeah. So they were good friends with him, and we went over to his house after afterwards, which was like not far from the festival at all. And it was this this badass house, and they had like palm trees in their backyards with chandeliers hanging down, and like hot tub and stuff. Yep. And we met Bill Kelly, and he was super cool, and he fucking let us stay at his house that's and so that's how i like i I met the co-founder of the wmc before i even knew Knew about it it. was that's crazy i'm like yeah it was it was just like i mean it was like this is what happens when he just like took this chance and like i'm sure everything will be fine i'm just going to have fun and that's the way the scene used to always be that was exactly why you didn't worry about going on big long trips because you knew that you'd meet somebody that you had a similar like connection with Mm-hmm. And that kind of stuff happened all the time. Hopefully, it still does. Yeah, absolutely, man. Because I mean, now I think about it, I mean, I, I I know four or five people I still talk to from that experience, or you know, talk to regularly. And I mean that those connections never would have happened had I, had I not just taken that chance and gone. And that was my first year, and I, I continued to go for the following two years after that, and then it just became too much of a financial thing to be able to make it down. I really want to go back down. Mm-hmm. So you, do you help do shows for WMC or you were saying the winter music week. Can you talk about that a little bit? My, said... my music week was created after the separation of WMC um, date wise. And uh, just to kind of fill the void of uh, interaction with the people and the city to help kind of boost um, basically WMC was the name that everyone associated with that week and all the events and the uh, IDMAs. Um, that was a huge thing, and Ultra always capped it off at the end. When WMC moved that one year, um, it created a void of location for people that were traveling to Miami that wanted to find a place to go. They wanted to find a party. They wanted to find... You know, you couldn't go to one website and figure out where to go for everything. So mm-hmm. there was a void that was left. So the development of MMW, My Music Week, was kind of developed to fill that void. Um, it was a great concept and a great idea. It's still around today. WMC's back at the same time period, but MMW was still there more or less to focus on the city itself and the events in the city. 
whereas WMC, their focus seemed a bit more on the IDMAs. So they still work well together, and you can go to either the WMC website or the MMW website and find out where all the parties are at, who's doing what, where, when, how. It's just a great way to navigate the city, especially for people that are traveling to Miami. Because, I mean, you know, what's harder than having, you know, 110 different venues and parties going on 24 hours a day? You're new to the city. If you have nowhere to go to figure out what's going on where, you're going to either miss things or you're not going to have the experience that you really need to have. Mm -hmm. Having two places you can go, MMW having an actual app that you can go on to for iPhones, Androids, whatever else, just makes it easier while you're actually in Miami to figure out where you want to go, how you're going to get there whether it be food, whether it be restaurants, whether it be hotels, whether it be, you know, parties, DJs, whatever. It just makes mm-hmm. it easier to navigate. How has the, uh, WMC, I mean, well, we were kind of just talking about this, how the split happened, and mm-hmm. that was kind of a big dramatic thing, but how has WMC and Ultra and all this grown or changed over the years? Or It's gotten, I mean, I mean, the whole scene's gotten bigger. I mean, with the development of, you know, quote-unquote EDM, whether you're calling EDM electronic dance music or you're calling EDM the commercial death of, you know, all things electronic, it just kind of depends on where you're at. But but regardless, it has grown the crowd and grown the scene so much that, I mean, Ultra has gotten to the point that they have finally been able to go 18 plus. Um, You know, it's no longer all ages because they just don't have the space for it, which is a good thing. I mean, the fact that they're going 18 plus, I mean, honestly, I think it'd be great if they could go 21 plus eventually someday. Yeah. Because, I mean, what better crowd to have than a fully, you know, legal drinking crowd and an educated music crowd that can fill that space would be fantastic. Um, I mean, DJ charges, you know, agent charges, everything else has caused nightclub prices to go up, drink prices to go up, festival prices to go up. Um you know, having an older crowd go, they can hopefully afford to pay some of these, you know, increases in price mm-hmm. or even better still would be better if, you know, the agents and the DJs and everything else would, you know, drop some of their prices to a more um, reasonable rate, therefore dropping door charges and hopefully drink charges, but that's up to the club, uh, festival prices, etc., and so forth. But as far as the growth, I mean, WMC um, definitely took a hit when they, you know, left for, a, you know, a year. But there's still the name that everyone knows. Uh, MMW has picked up a lot of speed. They're doing a great job of uh, reaching out and becoming a well-known brand. And Ultra, I mean, they are, you know, still still pumping, still pushing. And they're selling out every single year. So, I mean, they're still, you know, hitting all the numbers. The scene's still booming. And it's forever changing. I mean, every three years you see a major change in Miami. Mm-hmm. So, where do, you, where do you usually stay when you go down there? Uh, probably my old, my old roommate's house or friend's houses. I've got a bunch of them down there. Um, years ago when I was living there, obviously I would stay wherever I was uh, living. If I were to go back now, I would just call a couple friends and probably either couch surf or see who had a spare bedroom, um, or shit, just fly in town, bring a bag, show up and, you know, wing it until you found somewhere to go. (laughs) We actually, yeah, that first year was the only year we stayed with Bill, but, uh, I think we, we couch surfed every other year. Well, we did go on because you got those discounts with the badges, and so we did like as many days as we could afford on <laughs> South Beach. Hotels and, get yeah, pricey. yeah. But uh, oh, another funny story that that first year I went. So 
the last night we were there it was like the last night or last night for all the parties and my buddy Alex that I had met down there he was uh, working at club space and he said come just come over to the club it was like late he's like come to the club and then call me when you're outside and I'll I'll come let you in or get you in on the door I was like cool so and nobody everybody else was just partied out and I was like no I gotta get I gotta get one last night in before we leave so like I went there and I like parked around the corner and called him and he didn't answer and uh so I'm sitting there and I'm just like waiting for him to get back to me and uh this homeless guy comes up and knocks on my window and I'm like uh oh so I like roll it down just a crack and he's like hey how's it going tonight man you know whatever Mm -hmm. and he's like here check out this knife and he pulled out like a, a knife and opened it and like handed it to me in the car and I'm like uh cool dude I'm like I think I'm like 24 at this or something you know just like first time in my like oh cool man and I gave it back to him he didn't ask for money or anything and he like went on his way so I was like oh Jesus dude come on hit me up things get even weirder I'm just by myself and then like all of a sudden there was this uh just just like chaos started happening there was like people running from around the corner from like the entrance of the club like screaming and I was like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden you could hear like the increasing sound of like sirens coming from every direction. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? And all of a sudden this Mustang like spun out around the corner, just like right in front of me. And the, it got a, it got like 30, probably 30 yards in front of me, maybe 50 yards. But at that moment, like from every alley and like corner of the road like the cop these cop cars swarmed this mustang and it like did a like a side slide and just stopped in the middle of the road and the cops got out and they're like get out of the car get out of the car and i was like okay i think it's time to go now <laughs> but i found out that the whoever was in the car they had shot a gun off in the club nobody got hurt but they had like shut a gun off and it killed the music and caused all this chaos and that i was like nuts. yeah that was my last night there and Luckily, I survived that, but... Oh, uh, Miami. <laughs> Any crazy shit like that you've seen? Well, I mean, <laughs> I was there during the whole, uh, what, human zombie bath salt incident. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, and then you've got, what, um, Memorial Day weekend or whatever it is every year that there's just issues in Miami every single year. People actually leave the island and clubs shut down. Um, is it Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, yeah I believe it's Memorial Day weekend. Um I mean, but you hear about shit all the time. I mean, there's, I mean, literally, you go on Facebook and look at the news stream. The most fucked up shit that you see on Facebook, stories, news articles, whatever else, nine times out of ten is coming out of South Florida. So there's some, there's some, there's some oddballs down there. There's some great people as well, but there's some mm-hmm. oddballs definitely. Yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to the cake down there. <laughs> what uh, what places? So what places has DJ taken you that? wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the your love for the music or DJing in general. Um, a guy that I worked with um, in Miami uh, ended up being the founder of a festival called the Paradise World Festival. And his first one ever was on an island called Curacao, which is next to Aruba. And uh, he flew myself and my roommates down there, They and we both played. Um, that was a lot of fun. That was my first time going outside of the U.S. to play. Um, and that was a really cool experience. Um, got to go down there. Actually, it was my second time going. I actually went to, that was my second time going to Curacao. I was flown down there to play at a lounge uh, down there maybe about three months before as a, a build-up to Paradise World. Um, but it's a really cool island. Um, certain sides, 
of the island are a little bit scary. You have to kind of know where you're going. You meet, you might How feel, big is it? It's not that big. Um, but it's very, very segregated between like your lower income on one side and your extreme rich on the other side. But the people in general were extremely hospitable. There was a lot of beauty there. Some really cool, you know, areas playing to a different crowd that's not used to hearing certain things that you hear on a regular basis, you know, in the U.S. was definitely kind of eye-opening. You go there, you hear, you know, maybe corny, cheesy mashup stuff over and over again from the locals, but that's not what you play. So you find a way to reach them with your own sound and they won't ever hear that sound again until either you come back or it's it, it's kind of like how it was back in the 90s here mm-hmm. and that was really cool um experience was was definitely cool and i've got an iron stomach so whenever i go somewhere i eat whatever i can and they had some crazy food down there <laughs> that i'm sure wouldn't pass some health code things in certain restaurants here but damn it was good and i ate everything so <laughs> that's awesome how, how many people were at those that event then I want to say the first year, I'm, I'm completely guessing here, I would guess maybe about 5,000. Oh, wow. Is so, that a lot of like travelers then? or? Honestly, I think about 90% of that came from the island itself. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, and, they, and they're actually doing some more stuff now. I think they're actually doing a few events. Um, actually, I think it's, I think they're actually working with WMC on a party now for Curacao. Oh, really? Yeah, I believe they're actually having speakers. Actually, it might even be Bill, Bill Kelly um, speaking at, at uh, Paradise World this year. I'm not sure. I have to oh. check. I know I saw something, something about that online. Do you so, fly there? Or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, what's what's the best set you've ever played? Or, like, ones that stick out, just most memorable? There's, uh, let's see, gosh. Um... <laughs> A lot of them probably I don't remember. <laughs> um, there's been a couple of really great after hours. We used to throw some of the biggest parties afterwards, like before I moved to Miami and like West Palm. Um, we actually had a house party one time that um, we uh, threw a party in this like two-story mansion with a huge outdoor uh, pool area, private beach. And we moved all the furniture out of the mansion, put it all in the garage. We hired security guards from um, that were ex, I think, Dolphins football players. Um, the owner of the house did construction, and he had talked to the cops in the area. And we ended up having three different rooms of music. Um, DJ Strike, Noel Sanger, myself. Like, people just coming and playing for free. It was um, the 8808 party. It was August 8th, 2008, and we had almost a 1,000 people show up to this house, and we actually heard from the club owners the next day that because of our house party that the clubs were actually slow in West Palm Beach. <laughs> um, that, I, don't, I, I don't remember my set at all, but I remember that was a great and crazy party. Um, best sets? I would say that, well, actually, I mentioned you earlier about an, an uh, island party that we used to have down in Miami. Uh, me and one of my best friends um, and the uh, producer of UMF Radio, his name is Andy Pate. He's uh, one and a half of uh, Riot Gear. 
Um, him and I play extremely well together, and we've been known to do like late night, like you stream sets when we get drunk. Um, but we had an island party, and him and I played, I think, for 16 hours straight. And we just hit a groove where him and I just nonstop. We're just taking turns, just playing three, four, five songs at a time. As soon as you were done DJing, you were out in the crowd dancing, and you're just playing to an island crowd, and every song just was perfect. It was just one of the most memorable experiences. It was really cool. Oh, yeah. Did it get recorded? Nope. Yeah, of, course, <laughs> of course it didn't. Nope. <laughs> I don't make CDs that big enough anymore. <laughs> what, cool. So what, what, uh, who's been, like, the, the best sets you've ever seen or most inspirational or just... Um... Honestly, Powerful performances. one of the best sets I've actually seen in the last year was a guy named Wanklemutt. Um, W-A-N-K-E-L-M-U-T. Um, I had just heard one of his songs, uh, My Head is a Jungle. Um, and I had heard the name, and then maybe about three months later, I was asked, he played at Treehouse on the Saturday that I'm a resident. And he came in, and him and I chatted, and we just kind of shot the shit a little bit. And I had no idea what to expect. And he played an absolutely phenomenal set. Like, I mean, I literally was just blown away. Um, some of his uh, releases and productions sound a little bit commercial, but he's marketable. And he is a talented DJ. Um, another person that I actually heard for the first time, and him and I have kind of a similar uh, mixing style. He's from Berlin. His name is Marco, but he DJs as uh, Joachim says. Uh, I-O-A-K-I-M. Uh, S-A-Y-Z um, he uh, does a lot of the Get Physical podcasts and him and I actually did a little uh, uh, trip up to New York together him and one of his production friends and uh, a good friend of mine Julian Ganser who's also on, on a Get Physical um, we played in New York together but I heard him play at Treehouse in the main room and the first time I ever heard him play that was in 2013 2012 2012 I think God, time flies by fast. Yeah. Um, no, no, it was 2013. Anyways, um, he was he he was he he was insane. And then I've always loved Sasha. So I mean, I, I can I can see him sometimes and be you know wowed. Other times, be a little bit underwhelmed. But overall, mm-hmm. you know, as far as one of the bigger hitters, he's definitely one of the guys that I always kind of you know look at and have enjoyed for years and years and years. Yeah, last time we saw him was at uh, Wavefront two years ago. It was. Uh, in Chicago and they actually did it on Montrose Beach so it's like in the sand and he played the sunset set and uh, they shot off fireworks like during it too it's just like oh, just fucking magic <laughs> such so good uh, yeah along those lines though uh, do you have any ex- crazy stories or ex- an experience you want to share crazy stories and experience um well, I can use like, you know, um, let's just say I've never said no to experimenting with things before. So there's been plenty of stories as far as that goes. <laughs> um, but I mean, I've, I think probably the craziest and kind of most off the wall ones are when I decided to go to a party last minute and just decide to make it happen. I mean, when I was, you know, first getting started, I was living in Denver for a while and I'd hear about a rave somewhere and this is before they would tell you where it was at. I would sometimes find out about a rave and I would, I mean, I, I would find out like the day before that it was in like Arizona and I just hop in my car and drive to Arizona. 
I didn't know anybody. I'd go straight there. I'd be there the entire night because I wanted to go see two DJs who drives three states away to go see <laughs> three hours of music. Um, I did. I mean, it's just, just you know, nuts. Um, you know, going to uh, Lake Havasu, Arizona, was moving from uh, California back, back, back to Colorado in like uh, early 2000s. Stopped in Lake Havasu to go to a party. Ended up staying for six days. I don't even know where I stayed at. I would love to meet the people that I actually stayed with, though, because I had a great time. <laughs> um, I came back in my car, and I think I had lost a third of my vinyl because it had gotten so hot that they had all melted together. Oh, no. And I have no regrets for that entire week. <laughs> I don't have many memories from that entire week, but I have no regrets. Um, <laughs> so, That's um, wicked, man. So, yeah, we can kind of start to wrap things up here. What uh, What's on the horizon for yourself? Or, I, we didn't really talk about it much, but you work at Beta and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. So how's that going? Or? I mean, Beta is one of the top sound systems in the country, if not the world. Um, they have, you know, some of the you know great production. They have a great venue. Uh, you know, it's been, been one of the front runners in Denver for a long time. Being a part of that family is definitely a huge opportunity, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and it is a family, which you don't get a lot in this industry. You get employees, and you actually have a family situation there, which is a great experience. Um, as far as my future goes, I mean, it's going to be playing it kind of month by month, just kind of seeing uh, where things go, um, staying here for a while. Um, I've got, you know, uh, a very good reason to go back out to California. So there are definitely... You know, hopes that someday I get back out to Southern California again. That is where I think that my heart beats the strongest. Um, and uh, I guess day by day is kind of how I've lived things so far. So that's kind of how I'm going to finish things off, I guess. Right. Uh, any upcoming gigs? Yes. Actually, I think I have two messages in my phone right now that I have to respond back to. <laughs> um, one will probably be coming up maybe in January, um, potentially at beta. I don't remember when that's working out. Um Nothing's been hammered out yet. Most of my time right now has been at beta. But there were a couple of emails that I got recently. I don't recall which ones they were for. I haven't even addressed them yet. So, But there's things on the horizon. Hopefully more in 2015. We'll kind of see how it unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. You should uh, keep January 3rd clear, too, because uh, me and her have a joint birthday party planned. So uh, we're putting the lineup together and stuff. So <laughs> mark your calendar. I will pencil it in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, any, anything else? Any, I mean, are you, do you plan on traveling soon or? Um, I will be out in California, uh, for a visit in January. Um, I'm sure I'll be, I'll be back in Florida again to visit maybe in March. Um, my birthday's in April, so I'm sure I'll go somewhere then. I would love to go back to Canada soon and then I would love to go out and meet up with my friend Marco and Julian out in Berlin. So hopefully all that kind of stuff happens, um, in 2015, um, the more traveling, the better. So hopefully that all happens. Absolutely. Cool. So where, if people want to find you or hear your music, uh, where, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, Facebook.com, DJ Christopher James. And uh, I use two. Uh, it's Mixcloud.com. I believe that one is Christopher James. There's a couple of them on there, so I hate to say I don't know exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. I just have it's either DJ Christopher James or Christopher James, and then SoundCloud.com uh, slash DJ Christopher James. Cool. And we'll post the links for that in the description, so if anybody wants to reference that, that'll be there. So, 
Well, awesome, man. Thanks a lot for being on here and being uh, helping me keep this podcast going and stuff. Um, look forward to hearing you play again or here. I fuck, I'm excited to hear what you're gonna play on this mix. What uh, what can we expect or what do you what are you playing out right these days? I've got a bunch of new songs actually. Um, so it's gonna be I mean, typical what I play normally. It's gonna be like you know heavy bass lines, kind of um, kind of organized chaos with like a solid uh, melody hook, I guess is kind of a fun way to say it. Um, exact songs and what I'm going to play, where I'm going to play it, I don't know it until I actually start doing it, but uh, I can definitely tell you that I've got some great classic tracks that I've uh, picked up recently that are going to become huge like classics that come back around again and again and again, so you'll probably hear those in the mix. Um, producers and labels, I run through them so quickly that I honestly, at the top of my head, can't even think about it right now. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> no problem, man. Well, yeah, thanks again, man. It's cool to talk to you and hear about Miami and, and I mean, all the fucking places you've lived and everything else. And look forward to hearing more from you, man. So, all right, without further ado, guys, here is Christopher James in the mix.
that'll about do it for this week's podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and thanks again to Christopher James for coming on the show. Next on deck for episode five, we have another Denver local veteran, Kevin Callison. Should have that out here before the end of the year, but if I don't talk to you before then, have a happy and safe holiday, guys. Peace, everybody.